This is, this the, is the Gen X, the Gen X, X Revolution. Revolution. The Gen X Revolution. Welcome to the Gen X Revolution. Alrighty, fam, Dr. D back in the house. Welcome to the Gen X Podcast, the Gen X Revolution, where this time in all times, the revolution will not be televised. And in fact, for good measure. Alrighty, fam. Okay, for I want to send a shout out to all of those who have been listening in and watching on our new platform. That's right. In case you didn't know, you can now find the Gen X Revolution has its own channel on YouTube. And we have excellent content, so please make sure that you stop by. If you want to search it, just uh, go to the Gen X Revolution, <laughs> the name of the show, right? So be sure to check in and, and drop some comments off and, and subscribe to the channel. Make certain that you let us know, you know, how you feel about what you see. Um, shout out to uh, the two content posts that are there from uh, good, uh, my good pal, Thurston Smith, uh, and he actually dropped out to give us a matter of perspective. You can hear him audio-wise here, as well as watching him on the uh, on the Gen X Revolution channel. Uh, you can also see uh, new content uploaded where you can actually see and hear from uh, uh, Jim and Daryl Bird, right? You can actually see and hear from uh, Kahari Nash and uh, Representative, State Representative Joe Towns, uh, as well as my good pal uh, Wallace Gator Bradley, we call him Gator, those who affectionately know him. So uh, be sure to drop, drop in and watch the content, okay? And watch some of the other content that I've, I've put in the playlists. So more to come, and we thank you again for your support in advance. So now, as we move in and turn the tide to our interviewee for today, and that's right, fam, if you've been keeping up, this is episode six, season three. It's hard to believe it's almost over, but uh, this marks the final episode of the season. And then we're, we're going to be rotating into the next one with new and impressive and engaging content. But uh, for today's interview, fam, uh, I wanted to let you in on uh, and introduce you rather to uh, Mr. Harold Collins, who serves as the director for the Shelby County Office of Reentry. And uh, it sounds exactly what it's like and what it's about. Uh, the Shelby County Office of Reentry is all about. Uh, helping individuals to re-engage with society, with their communities, after they have come back from serving time in jail. And so, you know, uh, we, we are thankful to have programs like this in our communities because it helps individuals, it helps families, it helps our community to rebuild itself. You know, if we think of things from uh, the systemic side of the equation, and that affects the, you know, that that's a real thing. If you noticed, uh, if you've been listening to some of the, the content, that's what it's all about, uh, systemic racism. And not because it's it's a matter of opinion. It's because systemic racism is called that because it is enshr it's enshrouded in every fiber of what we do. And it, it impacts us so much as a community, as a race, as people, that we don't even know it. Okay, we just accept it. We accept the lives that we live is the way things are. A lot of a lot of people are doing that. But uh, in the meantime, and in between time, we have individuals who move ahead. They forge ahead. They fight the good fight and they they do so so that we may open the doors and remove this barrier of inequality that impacts us. 
Ready? So I want you to take a good listen to this interview because there are some there's some things that I learned from going in. And that's the reason why I bring content like this to you every week, because I want you to be in the know programs and initiatives. And I dare I say programs. I hate to say the word programs because programs kind of gives the con connotation that it's only short term. So the Shelby County Office of Reentry is not a program. It's really I would I would define it as an initiative. And Harold Collins is definitely the right man to lead this uh, this initiative uh, because he, he cares. He gives a damn. And that's generally what it takes. It takes an empath to go out and, and to make change in your community. So shout out to you, Harold Collins. Um, this interview is uh, untouched, as you know. I love to bring it to you raw and unfiltered. And so um, is Shelby County, which is located in Memphis, Tennessee, by the way, is really seems to really be about the business of trying to reduce the rate of recidivism. And there's only way to do there's only really one way to do that. You have to provide opportunities. You have to find that way to increase life chances, life expectancy, life opportunities, and you have to bring about employment. And so if you listen closely to what Harold says, and we're gonna get to the interview in just a second, I know I'm building up the, uh, I'm, I'm kind of really building up the anticipatory set here, but uh, if you really listen in to what's going on, uh, I want you I want you to be aware of things that you can take to your community. So if you live abroad and you're seeing this as a problem, you're seeing you know incarceration as a problem in the way that it cyclically affects in, you know black communities, you know, and, and, and really from a, a genocidal standpoint, this is one way that you can replicate and seek change. Let's listen in to Harold Collins right here on the Gen X Revolution. All righty, fam. Dr. Ron Davis here with the... Uh with the Gen X Revolution, the Gen X Podcast, where this time and all times, the revolution will not be televised. I'm sitting here on location with Mr. Harold Collins, and he is currently serving as the director of the Shelby County Office of Reentry. Um, you know, fam, if you, you if, if that sounds like something that's familiar, and I'm sure that it does, uh, he has provided the actual term, quoted term for me, justice involved. And I'm going to pass things over here to uh, to Mr. Collins so he can kind of elaborate on that. Uh, Mr. Collins, thank you for uh, agreeing to the interview. Welcome to the Gen X Revolution. Uh, just tell us a little bit about uh, what this what this whole term justice involved is about. Thank, thank you for having me. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, and to your listeners of Gen X, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, but certainly, um, the Office of Reentry had and was established uh, by charter uh, from the Shelby County uh, Board of Commissioners. And um, initially, it was designed to serve persons who. Uh, had been convicted of crimes uh, and had served time in penal institutions. That includes the Shelby County uh, Penal Farm. We call it the Division of Corrections. Most people know it as the Penal Farm. Mm -hmm. But the other uh, seven or eight penal institutions throughout the state of Tennessee. Then uh, a couple of years ago, our mission expanded to persons who are justice involved. And justice involved means 
you have come in contact with the criminal justice system by way of an arrest, uh, a pretrial, uh, detained, detainment, or uh, um, you have pled guilty to a misdemeanor offense and you placed on probation and a judge deems fit for you to come to our office to gain services, whether it be uh, anger management or drug treatment or what have you. Mm-hmm. And so we now say our office serves persons throughout Shelby County who are just as involved. Okay, very good, and thank you for that. Um, so it's, you know, one of the things that uh, we always talk about here at the, uh, at the Gen X Revolution is that uh, we like to cover things from a historical perspective, a contemporary perspective, but always from an African-American perspective. You know, we talk about uh, items in uh, systemic racism, social justice, mm-hmm. all of those things. And so I'm, I'm certain at some point you and I are going to have that conversation uh, in this interview and how African-Americans are, are, are impacted by all of those items. But kind of moving down the line on our, on our list of questions, because I know you're a busy man and we've got to get back to things. Um, tell me about what your vision is for the reentry initiative. And there's going to be a, the follow-up to that is, is, how would you like to see it develop for the future? Well, our vision, uh, as we like to say, uh, is always evolving. Um, because we, we deal with so many people and so many circumstances that's fluid, um, it's ever-changing because we have to be able to provide services for persons who may need uh, specific, uh, 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 um, I guess for lack of a better term, they have specific requirements uh, and specific needs. And so we're always evolving, always changing. But the one constant thing that we do is provide services or programs that prepare our clients after they've been released for the new world that they're involved in. And that new world consists of uh, our program called FOCUS. And FOCUS is uh, what we provide. It's a 10-week program that uh, uh, stresses uh, several components. Of course, it's always job readiness. Mm-hmm. And getting it in job readiness, there is registration for jobs for TN, certifications uh, for uh, uh, to review your past history, uh, what kind of skills you may have obtained while you were incarcerated, but also there is the components of mental health, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with persons who have served at a minimum uh, nine years and 77 days in jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, at a minimum, their lives have changed because they nearly served a decade of incarceration. and. Time waits for no one, and so does so does the the seasons, and so things have changed while they've been gone. It's reconnecting them with their family and understanding the different dynamics of when they are released now into a free world versus being incarcerated and things are being controlled for them. Uh, it is adjusting to the new technology that's out here. Uh, because when they went away, perhaps there was a, 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 a I, I liken it to, I'm, I'm going to date myself, mm-hmm. the cell phone on your hip. 
with the bag. Right. And today, the cell phone is no bigger than your palm. Mm -hmm. And so these things have changed or evolved. And so we have to evolve and change with our clients. What I would like to see in the future is uh, for us to get into the temporary or transitional housing phase. Uh, we have many clients who get released from custody uh, as far as way as the East Tennessee Receptional Center. Mm -hmm. And they come to Memphis, and again, the minimum that they've stayed on our clients is on the average nine years and 77 days. And so when they get released, family members have moved on, uh, there's particularly different places to stay, there are probably different living conditions that they have to deal with now, and so they become homeless. And so we have to figure out a way to transition them back into our community through transitional housing. So that's part of our vision for the future and seeing how Shelby County can develop a strategy to uh, uh, deal with that particular problem. That uh, and, and it's not a huge uh, percentage of our clients but that percentage is there. And we're here to meet the needs of our clients and that's one need that I see that we're lacking in right now. Okay, well, thank you for that. Uh, it's pretty extensive and, and when I think about, you know, uh, people who are coming out of a situation where they're incarcerated, they, uh, you know, they have, even at the very least, they have shelter. Mm -hmm. They have three squares a day, I'm assuming that that's right. Uh, you know, well, the law says that they have to have uh, uh, two hot meals a day. They can have a cold meal for lunch. Like, you'll see um, they get a sack, lunch, sack bag for food for lunch, and that could be a sandwich and some fruit and some chips or cookies but they have to have uh, a hot meal. And so, yeah, most people think that, uh, you know, with, people have glamorized uh, prison life. Mm -hmm. And they go three hot squares, and you get a bed, and you get uh, this, and you get that. But I can assure you that if you talk to somebody that has been incarcerated, they would prefer to be out versus being in. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, and what you kind of said and what I was building up to is, is probably a question that, uh, and that you kind of answered already. But, I'm, I'm, but I'd love you to kind of do a deeper dive for me. So with that being said, I want you to think a minute about the, uh, the challenges that you've actually faced. Other than what you just mentioned, mm -hmm. um, you know, finding, finding housing, you know, to an, for an individual who's been displaced, you know. When they come out of jail, it's been 10 years, time has passed. Mm -hmm. You know, what are some of the challenges that you faced, you know, being the director of this program? And tell me, what are you doing to overcome that? Well, I think the, the biggest challenge that we all face here is the stigmatism of being a ex-con, an ex-convict. Um, and so we tend to put labels on people so that we can govern ourselves and then limit their ability to progress. Um, and so what we find is um, when individuals have certain skills or acquire certain skills, mm -hmm. the label of being an ex-convict 
uh, holds them back. That's why you saw uh, a big push by Mayor Harris to ban the box uh, on Shelby County's website for employment. Because when you put an X on, have you ever been convicted of a crime? Typically, people use that to discriminate you or disqualify you mm -hmm. from uh, uh, the job process. But we find that many people who serve time in jail or in, in penal institutions acquire skills that they can transfer uh, to our, as they say, the outside world. Mm -hmm. You know, certifications are huge now in our community. Yeah. So get, getting a certification in HVAC or electric, electrical work or construction or janitorial services or barbering or welding, all these things that they can acquire certifications for, when they receive them, they become marketable in our community. Mm -hmm. But because they are, quote unquote, an ex-convict, people will disregard them. And so that's one of the challenges that we face. Uh, the second challenge that we face is on the flip side, um, many of the people who come out of these institutions uh, uh, have at a minimum an eighth grade education. So while they're incarcerated, they are not being educated. They're not getting a whole lot of programming to elevate themselves. And it's not mandatory, in my opinion. The, pro the challenge is, uh, if you are incarcerated and you have time to serve as a part of your sentence, uh, should be you are ordered to, A, get into an adult basic education program so that you can increase your reading level while you're incarcerated. You are required to enroll in a training program so that you can develop yourself when you are, while you're in, in custody. So when you get released, then you become marketable and it's not a strain on you and your family to earn an income. Right. And so those are the challenges that we face every single day. And so one of the things that we'll be looking into is how we can change the law uh, <laughs> in our state yeah. to require inmates to enroll in these programs so that when they get released, then they have opportunities. Right now, it's all voluntary. And so, it, I remember as a child, um, uh, um, you know, my father would say to me, uh, you know, these are the things that you're gonna learn to do. You're gonna learn tie tie, you're gonna learn to wash a car, you're gonna learn to cut the grass. You're gonna learn to change the tire on your automobile. And I used to get angry because as a kid, why would I have to learn these things? Right. But now that I'm older, all these things make sense to me. Right. And so I say that because uh, many times these young men, these men, and particularly men, 90, 95% of our clients are men. So these men go and go and get locked up and become incarcerated at the age of 18 or 19. And remember, the average stay that a client that for us is nine years and 77 days. So if you go in at 18 or 19, you get out at 29 or 28 or 30 years old, then therefore you have become a man. And so, it, as they say, it's easier to build boys than to repair a broken man. And so 
when they come to us, they are broken men and we have to repair them mm -hmm. one at a time. So those are the challenges that we face on a daily basis. Uh, and we like to think that focus, uh, and focus doesn't stand for anything, but focus. Focus, focus on <laughs> you, focus on your ability to get better, focus on acquiring a skill, focus on maintaining your uh, 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 emotions, focus on you, focus. And so we like to think that focus is the catalyst to get them to that process. Oh, I, I really appreciate that, Mr. Collins. It's, you, you've got a, a pretty daunting task on your hands here, to say the least, man. Uh, every day, I mean, imagine. I, I, you know, I, I've done some time where I was actually working with uh, Chief James Coleman mm -hmm. when, when he was over 201 Poplar. Um, you know, I used to I used to come in and, and he allowed me to, to bring in a, a, a volunteer program where I brought books and started a book club with uh, with a demographic of uh, adolescents who were there because at that particular time there were more adolescents coming in than any other demographic who were there. Mm -hmm. okay. And uh, we we had some success, so I I can only imagine. And and when when some of those guys got released, they came to my job where I served as, as the dean of a higher education institution. Mm -hmm. And I felt honored because they actually heard me. They actually listened. And so, but it was a very I remember thinking it was a small small percentage. It was a very small percentage of those kids. Yeah once they got released, to come and see me. Yeah. And so if I had five or six kids who came to see me out of about 30, 40 children, what about the rest of those children? Right. So I can imagine that what you got to be thinking sometimes that I know you've been doing this for a while. You've been working in public service for a while. But sometimes does your mind ever wonder, what about the ones that I'm not getting? <laughs> You know, um, there's a there's there's a, um, a saying that that goes, um, the harvest. Let me see. The workers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. I think that's mm -hmm. um, And so, I say that because there's plenty of work to go around. Mm -hmm. Um, and our office is doing its part, but there are other agencies throughout Shelby County and the country who are doing the same work. Okay. And so while we are responsible for what we have in our area, and we, we will do the very best we can, we got to trust and believe that the other groups are doing the very same thing that so, so that no one gets left behind. Gotcha. Um, because you're looking at, uh, on an average, eight, 9,000 people a year get released back into our community from penal institutions all across the state. And we probably see on average about four to 5,000 of them. So there's another uh, four to 5,000 out there that we don't get to see. And we'd like to hope that those others are being serviced by other organizations. Now, while we, we will receive all that come through our door mm -hmm. because we're chartered to do so, but we recognize that there is just 
an enormous amount of, of, of work to do, an enormous amount of people to serve. Uh, and that's why we have to have programs available to teach them skills, to get them to understand that they must become contributors now and not right. takers of our community. So, so that's the plan. Is this is this reentry program here located in Memphis? Is this the only one of its kind, or is it replicated throughout the state? Uh, I think that's a good question. Uh, I believe that there are reentry pro programs in the major cities of Jackson, uh, Nashville, Chattanooga, uh, and Knoxville. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I believe that. Uh, each county, when you talk about Madison County in Jackson, Davidson County in Nashville, uh, um, Hamilton County in Chattanooga, and Knox County in Knoxville, their counties have step established reentry programs. Yes, I would hope though. And so, but we have a very unique situation here in Shelby County because we are a partner with the Tennessee Department of Corrections. Mm. And the Tennessee Department of Corrections has established a community resource center in our building. And that community resource center has allowed uh, uh, for us to have on staff our own probation and parole officers here so that um, persons who are on probation and parole can report here versus trying to go to one of the established agencies around town, being in the city of Memphis, being in the center city of Memphis. Uh, and so th this is the only one of its kind inside the state of Tennessee. So yeah, we have a unique situation and a unique partnership uh, with the state of Tennessee and the T Tennessee Department of Correction. But um, because we are uniquely designed, we are available to participate with the Tennessee Department of Correction. That's why we have those probation officers and parole officers on our staff. Okay, very good. Well, now I'm going to hit you, I guess, with uh, a little bit of wordplay. Okay. Okay. So think about these three terms. Crime, poverty, and policy. Crime, poverty, and policy. And I want you to think about how it relates to, and really the question, are African-American offenders most heavily impacted by these three items? Either, either is it one individual item, or a combination of the three, or two? <laughs> okay. Um, let me do it this way. Okay. Uh, not just African American offenders, even though we're focusing on them, mm -hmm. but African Americans, period, are um, uh, disproportionately affected by policy that places them in poverty. Mm -hmm. um, and so. Um, crime becomes uh, <laughs> the result. So if you have policy plus poverty equals crime. Uh, I'm writing that one down. Hold on. Wait a minute. Say that again. Policy, policy plus, plus poverty, poverty equals <laughs> crime. If you use it in a mathematical equation. Yeah, that's what I did. And so <laughs> the way it works is 
policy has been established to limit opportunity for African Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I mean by that is policy restricts you or confines you into a place where you can only go so level, so high. Uh, and so policy is written and carried out. And sometimes it's not written, mm-hmm. it is just uh, um, placed out there uh, uh, in a subliminal way. Let me see if I can make it live for you. <laughs> um, uh, let's see here. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, here it is. Here it is. Memphis is a city, and we live in Memphis and Southern County, but Memphis is a city that is 60 to 63% African American. Mm-hmm. However, policy says that in order for an African American business to get a contract with the city of Memphis, you have to meet XYZ criteria. Mm-hmm. Some of that criteria means that you have to have bond or insurance up to the level of the amount of the contract. Many times, African-American businesses are not able to get that level of bonding or insurance because they don't have the uh, assets for an insurance company to underwrite them. Mm -hmm. That's policy. Because that's policy, many African-American businesses are not able to hire as many people as they can because they are struggling to meet the asset requirements set by the policy which means that less and less people are afforded an opportunity to, to work for a company or an African-American business. Mm-hmm. And because you can't work, you can't pay your bills, which leads you to a life of poverty. And then because you are not able to work and take care of your family and do the things that you normal families would normally do every day, all day, you figure out a way to support your family. And that way, in most cases, because you have been uneducated or undereducated and you have not been trained or untrained or significantly trained less, you resort to what you think is the best way to do that, which is committing a crime. So policy plus poverty equals crime. Um, I like the way you unpack that. That's 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 really great for the listeners. I appreciate that. So so for me, it is uh, getting our clients, and I'm I'm going back to now the officer reentry. Getting mm-hmm. our clients to understand that these three words, policy, poverty, and crime, they don't know they don't have to succumb to it. Mm-hmm. So what we do is say, now that you know this. Here's an opportunity to fix it for you. Learn a skill. At the age of 38 or 32, you can learn to do low voltage wiring. You can get a skill in uh, welding or HVAC, which is an 18 month program. And what we'll do is pay you to go to school. And so we have programming available that allows our clients to enroll in these certification programs and we'll pay you to go to school. Sort of like I equate it to 
when I was in college, I had a work study program. Mm -hmm. Work study allowed me to work and get a job while I went to school so that I didn't have to worry about trying to find employment while I studied. Many of us in the black community don't have the ability to go to school for free, go to school and not have any worries about finances. Right. So we have to do work study or get grants or loans. And so for us, we created a program that if you are one of our clients and you want to learn a skill, you enroll in one of our partner institutions, we will help you through getting you enrolled, getting you uh, uh, through school, but also paying you a stipend while you go to school. And so this allows us to then get them to focus on gaining the certification rather than worrying about how they're going to feed their families. And so if they can do that, then we can pretty much guarantee that they're going to be successful. And we've been real good and successful at this model. So yeah, we. So the crime, poverty, and policy plays plays a major role in not only just our clients, but in total of the people of our community. Okay, man, I, I appreciate that, Mr. Collins. Thank, thank you for that. I know our listeners are really going to appreciate that. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you, you, you kind of walk this through with what you all do here and the challenges that you faced. Now, uh, you know, kind of close this out, and because I know you've got you got a lot of work to do, a lot of challenges you got to fix. I want you to begin to think about how you can leave this with our listeners. How how does this project, in fact, give? ex-offenders, mainly African-Americans, who we generally tend to, to have it hard anyway in mm -hmm. society. How does this, how does your, what you do here, and your servant leader's heart that you, that you bring, how does that give African-Americans a second shot at life? Mm -hmm. Well, one, um, we are what I call the Office of Second Chances. <laughs> Um, and third chances. We provide resources and opportunities for our clients to understand that they've made a mistake and they want to make amends to that, not only to themselves, but to their families and communities by uh, adhering to our policy one of, of when you enroll into our program and there are certain policies and uh, restrictions you have on being in our program mm -hmm. and then two following through on your commitment to uh, uh, do whatever that is to make your life better and and, and what I what we mean by that is uh, we all have gifts we were all given gifts by our creator mm -hmm. Uh, and some folks' gifts could be, and, and I make it very easy for them, um, some folks' gifts are working with their hands real well. Mm -hmm. And so if you work well with your hands, you can enroll in our small engine repair center program. Or you can work, you can enroll into an HVAC program, or you can enroll into an electrical program, or 
anything that has to do with hands, mm -hmm. hand-eye coordination. Mm -hmm. Because you like doing those things. Right. I, I mean, I like it to, this is what we always ask our clients, what is it that you uh, really, really, really enjoy doing? What is it that you do all the time and so much that you sometimes find yourself doing it for free? Even when you're on a job that you're supposed to be doing something else, you find yourself doing it for somebody else for free. But do that and then let somebody find value in it and pay you for it. And the example I give is the man in uh, uh, the bank who is, uh, who's gotten a degree in accounting because his father and family said, this is what you need to do. Right. But every time the computer breaks down or the television needs connecting with the HV and the HDMI and all that, mm -hmm. they call him to do it. And then he finds himself working on computers and technology and com televisions all the time, even though he has an accounting degree. Mm -hmm. So he's working outside of his gift mm -hmm. because he finds himself working on the television and the computers all the time for everybody else for free. Right. What would it look like if he reversed that and started working on his computers and television and radios and he fine-tuned that so well that somebody found value in that and paid, paid him for it. Right. Then he would be working in his gift. And that working in your gift means you're not working. You are doing ministry. And so what I say to people is find what that is in your life. And when you find it, then you will do it for free. But you will do it so well that somebody will find value in it and pay you for it. And when you do that, you don't worry about the money. You don't worry about the check. You don't worry about coming to work when it's raining or if it's cold or if it's snow on the ground because guess what? You're working in your gift. And when you work in your gift, you don't care what happens. You go to work. And so we tell our clients, find what that is. It could be barbering, construction, uh, molding, welding, HVAC, small engine, uh, let me see. Let me name them all down here for you. Uh, uh, practicing nursing, culinary arts, machinery, phlebotomy, forklift, low voltage, you name it, we do it right here. And if it's in your gift, guess what? We're going to pay you to go and fine-tune your gift. So that's what I say to our clients and to your listeners who are trying to figure out what they're going to do if they've been just as involved. Come to the Office of Reentry at 1362 Mississippi Boulevard, enroll in our programming, and you will have what we call an opportunity to become a contributor to our community versus a taker. Wow. I, I got to tell you, uh, I came here for an interview, <laughs> Mr. Collins, but I, I, I feel like I feel like I've gotten so much more. <laughs> so, uh, thank you for giving me some time with you today. Uh, I know I appreciate it. I know our listeners appreciate it. And I know that your clients definitely appreciate it. Well, good. I'm happy to, happy to be able to serve. Happy, happy to do that. Uh, again, this is uh, Harold Collins. 
uh, with the director of the Shelby County Office of Pre-Entry uh, slash minister. <laughs> so we thank you again for your time, sir, and uh, we wish you well in all things. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. Thank you for having us. All right. Alrighty, fam. Welcome back to the GenX Podcast, the GenX Revolution. I want to thank our guest, at, uh, Mr. Harold Collins, doing good ministry work over there, uh, doing the work of an evangelist uh, over at the Shelby County Office of Reentry. Thank you again for granting us that interview. Thank you again for, for uh, kind of exposing us to the good side of government. I know that uh, a lot of times government, regardless of uh, whatever level we're discussing, they tend to get a bad rap, but... Uh, Again, shout out to Shelby County for uh, for doing that good work, for making sure that you have a good man at the helm and uh, making certain that you are diverting some of those funds, those taxpayer dollars, into into doing good work, gracious work, you know, because we all need grace, right? So, um, you know, some of the takeaways from the interview with, uh, with, with Mr. Collins, you know, I, I got to say, wow, you know, if, if someone had a, come to me years ago and said, you know something, Ron? You know, we're going to pay you to go to school. You know, it's going to be, for, you know, you're not going to have to pay the money back. Um, you're going to go in and you're going to you're gonna do something that you love. And uh, we're going to pay you while you're doing it. And then after that, you can you can go make a living. <laughs> so, you know, had I have, uh, discovered that route before I discovered the, uh, the magic of student loans, who knows, life may have turned out different. But, you know, I, I digress. You know, I think that uh, I came out okay. So, again, thank you, Mr. Collins, for, for doing what you do. Thank you again for Shelby County Government for doing what you do. Um, you know, I, I just, uh, just wow. You know, some of the other takeaways as I, as I sit here and think about this, you know, just phenomenal work going on over there. You know, if you have individuals who are, you know, leaving or coming out of incarceration, you know, and they need to transition back into society, back into their community, back into their world that uh, may have obviously looked different from when they went in, you know, and to have, you know, someone there, an advocate there for you to help you to transition and do so. I, I tell you again, a group, not, not only just a great way of, of allocating taxpayer funds and taxpayer dollars, but, you know, just a great, great way, a phenomenal way of helping people. And that's what it's all about. You know, uh, you know, when you have a, a disproportionate number of people of color who are being incarcerated, you know, you have to have something to, to even the scales, you know, no pun on justice intended, but you have to have something that, that, that evens out or balances the odds. So when individuals come out, that's what we talk about here at the, uh, at the Gen X revolution. We talk about how we can reduce the rate of recidivism. That's one way to win against the, uh, disproportion, uh, disproportionality. Um, you know, the, the, the other way to, to succeed on that would, of course, be to, to diminish and change some of the laws. But we're working on that one step at a time. And so, again, the work that's happening out there at the uh, Shelby County Office of Reentry, you know, we, we are, you know, we're just floored. I know that I am. And so, uh, again, I want to go ahead and thank uh, Mr. Collins for granting us that interview. More to come. I, I already see it in the future. So, um before we go ahead and bow out from this particular interview, uh, the last one for, um, you know, for now, <laughs> the last one for our season, 
I just kind of want to turn your attention again and give a plug to our YouTube channel. So make certain that when you go into Google, if you want to just Google it up, serve us up, Google us up, <laughs> you can uh, just type in the Gen X Revolution. Right. And so you'll find us. You'll be able to view some of our content. You'll be able to provide comments. You'll be able to look at some of the things that I've placed in there for playlist. And be sure to check out that Vice interview uh, that uh, that both Jim and Daryl Bird provided. And I think that uh, you'll be pleasantly surprised. But uh, again, I want to thank everybody, you, the listeners, for for giving us some of your time. And in your energy. And so now, just one more plug. If you want to reach out now, you have a formal way in which to do so. You can now reach us on our Gmail account. And the email address is, you guessed it, genxrevolutionary at gmail.com. <laughs> Alrighty. Again, that's genxrevolutionary at gmail.com. Alrighty. So I want to thank you all for joining in and, uh, just listening and giving a bit of your energy, a little bit of your time. Make certain that you send us out. You know, if you have friends, family, whomever, please send them out to uh, the Gen X Revolution. You know, we, we want to increase our listenership. We have it in some of the most unlikely places, um, pockets and corners of the world. And it doesn't matter wherever our listeners are. You know, I want to get the message out. And so... Just tell a friend to tell a friend, okay? And so with that, I want to thank you and bid you all adieu. Uh, and thank you for your support for this season. Uh, just be on the list and be on the lookout because the next season will be dropping soon. We've got more interviews to come. So thank you again for your support. Thank you for your listenership. And thank you for your viewership. Alrighty, until next time, we'll see you on the shoot. And uh, this is Dr. D signing off as always telling you, this time the revolution will not be televised. Peace.